Acts chapter 17. Now, I'm a little nervous here this morning, okay? You can go ahead and stand. We'll do that for the reading of the word. I'm a little nervous. I, I get nervous whenever I'm around a pulpit, even though I'm familiar with this design of this pulpit. But uh, I get nervous, and uh, not being here all the time, I, I just, when I just travel and preach, I, I get nervous. I'm just being open with you and transparent with you. And, and here's what happens. When I get nervous, I, I end up just kind of slowing my preaching down because I'm more careful, and that means I'm going to be long. But, but, but if you let me know that you're coming along with me, because I really have a burden to start us over here on page one all together, and then to go point by point to here where we finish all together. I feel like God's given me a place I want us to be at the end of the service. But my personality is that if you're not coming along with me, I will keep on trying to go back and to get you to come along with me. That's really going to slow me up. But if you'll let me know that you're coming along with me with a good amen, amen, then I know you're coming along with me and we'll keep up a good pace. Now, if you just start amen and all the time, just to get me done fast, that's wicked. That's wicked, all right? But I probably would fall for it. So just help me on that. I, I really, really asking the Lord to do this morning what only he can do. So that only he can get the praise and the glory. So that no one here gets any glory but the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want this morning. I sure hope you've come to hear from God. I sure hope you're ready to commit in your heart. That whatever the Lord tells you today. That you're going to respond. Be responsive to what he has for you. You might say, well I think I'll wait to hear what he has to say. You're going to bargain or negotiate with God? No, no. Whatever God would say to his people this morning would be good. Whatever he would have for us to ask you to do would be the best thing for you to respond to. Not responding, well, it would just be simply disobedience to God. So I pray that as we just look at this scripture today, and as the Lord just opens up his word, that you're ready to respond to God. Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 22. It's a verse we want to start at. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, this is the beginning of his message, Ye men of Athens... I perceive that in all things ye are too, what's that next word? Superstitious. Superstitious. Now, let's go to the next verse, verse 30. And the times of this, what's that next word? Ignorance. Ignorance. God, what? But now commandeth all men everywhere to what? I'm going to insert this word. Why? Because, next verse, he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Heavenly Father, would you do this morning what only you can do so that you can get the praise and the glory. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Lord's Word. Now, we'll look back at Acts chapter 17 again. I told Brother Fong I'm so scared of falling off this platform, so I'm going to hang on every time I come around like this, and, uh, but I'm so thankful. Well, by the way, what a, what a beautiful facility, the whole campus here, so, so beautiful. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. We see that Paul now is there in his older stage, this older Christian, this older church planner, this older missionary, this older church planner. He's there, and he's been, verse 1 now, he's been there to Amphipolis, Apollonia, and then now he's coming to Thessalonica, and we can see that there was a synagogue of the Jews. And we're just going to let that represent a group of lost people. And Paul, as his manner was, you know what that means? It means... It was his custom. It's what he did all the time. So as his manner was, he went in unto them. The them is referring to the, the Jews, the non-believers in the synagogue, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of scriptures. So what he did all the time, it was his manner, he would go into the synagogue where the lost people were, and he would reason and teach and preach to them. Verse four, and some of them believed. So some of those non-believers believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. And so, as his manner was, it was the custom of the older Christian, of the preacher, of the church planner, the missionary, and he had a couple of younger men at his side. He would go into where the lost people were, and he would teach and preach and witness, and he would tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and some got saved, praise the Lord. Verse 5, but the Jews which believed not... There at Thessalonica, well, they basically said this in verse 5, and they set the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. And they just basically said this, these guys are ruining our system, our religious system. And then they said this in verse 6, and when they found them not there at the house of Jason, certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying and saying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Verse 10, now those Christians there in Thessalonica tell Paul and his helpers, you guys got a lot of people mad at you. <laughs> we need to move you on. And so they move Paul and his helpers on and they bring them to Berea, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who cometh thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul's going to do what? The same thing again. He's going to go to the lost people and he's going to teach and preach. You think, well, he just got ran out of town. Shouldn't he change his, his plan? Shouldn't he change his plan of action? Now he does the same thing. He just preaches the gospel. And he's there in Berea. Well, look at what happens. Then, then these that were more noble there in Berea than even those that were in Thessalonica, verse 11, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily. Look at verse 12. Therefore, many of them, what? Believed. 
So there he is. He's, he's, he's being persecuted. He's being run out of town. He, he's preaching and teaching. You think this guy would learn that this isn't working. Actually, it's working very well. People are being saved. People are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, is there some persecution? Yes, is there some problems? Yes, but he just keeps on telling people about Jesus Christ. Wherever he goes, it's his, it's his manner, it's his custom, and he has some helpers. It's the older man showing us how to do it, and he has some younger men at his side all of the time. He is preaching and teaching and demonstrating to the younger, this is what you keep on doing. He isn't demonstrating to the youngers, so let's just change our plan. Let's just change our mode. No, he just goes ahead and continues to preach Jesus Christ. That's what he does. Some believe, some don't. This is the Apostle Paul. This is like the preacher of preachers. Some believe and some don't. Therefore, many of them believe, verse 12, and then verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, the town that he was at just a moment ago, had knowledge of the word of God that was being preached there in Berea, they came thither also, and they stirred up the people. And then, when, then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were, to the sea. And so these, these Christians there at Berea said, Paul, you got to get out of here again. you got some people that are really upset at you. So they basically send him off to Athens. Verse 15, And when they had conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. And so they brought Paul there to Athens. Athens would be a place that you and I would know as an intellectual capital People from all over the region would come to Athens to gain more knowledge. They wanted to, to become smarter. They wanted the better life, so they went to Athens. It was some smart people gathered all around there in Athens to gain more knowledge. They wanted to know more because they had this itching to know more, and they wanted the better life. And Paul is there now in this Athens, and he's there, and he's all by himself, and he sends back a message, get me my helpers. I need Timothy and Silas. But verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was, look at it in verse 16, his spirit was what? Stirred. It's deep. It was stirred in him. I'm going to insert this word. Why? What was he all stirred about? His spirit was stirred when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So he saw all these smart folks, educated folks, folks that were seeking the better life, folks that moved from their hometowns and came to this one place for better. And he sees them all of them worshiping idols. And it stirred them. This is different than what happened at the other cities. Verse 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him everywhere he went while he was waiting for his helpers. This wasn't an older man that just said, well, I don't have any help, so I can't do the work. No, he kept on working. Then certain philosophers, remember, these, 
This city was filled with smart people, educated people. Now, then, certain philosophers, verse 18, of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Remember, these are people that were wholly given to idol worship. And they just said about him, he preacheth about a strange God. And, verse 19, they took him, the philosophers did, they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Parentheses to draw our attention to it. For all the Athenians, all those at Athens, and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then, verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, now watch, Paul has now been invited to go to Mars Hill on the hillside where all of these philosophers and I'll say educated and smart people that have come to Athens to hear new things, he's now, they've all assembled on the hillside. And he's given the position of the teacher, the prominent place, so that they could all hear him. It's almost like he's down in this low spot and they're on the hillside, and that's how they would gather together. It was almost like an auditorium back then, an outdoor theater. And can you just picture it now? Paul, He's stirred down inside because he sees all of these educated people, all of these people that want to learn something new. He's seen them, all of them, the whole city, bowing down and worshiping idols. And now he's given the opportunity. He has their ear. He's a little educated himself. And they have an opportunity to say, Paul, will you teach us something new? So he goes onto Mars Hill and he preaches a sermon to them. And we are about to read a summary of that sermon. This is an awesome thought. So look at it. He says this, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, meaning their worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He says this, I basically have seen that you had an idol or a God for this, for the rivers, for the harvest, for the sun, whatever you can imagine in your mind, all of these smart people came up with all of these gods, all of these idols. They made these statues, these idols with their own hands and they would give it a name. And then they would bow down and worship. They would be, all of their devotion would go to these man-made gods. And Paul sees that. And then he comes across this one that says, the unknown God. So what does he preach to them about? The God that they don't know. 
He's preaching to them about the unknown God to them, meaning this, they don't know who God is at all. They think that they know a lot about a lot of different gods that who's made up? They've made up all of these gods themselves. This doesn't make sense, does it? For a man to come up with a God, to create a vision of who God is, and to say, let's just make a, a statue. No. He's taking this opportunity to say, you want to know about the unknown God? He starts to teach, preach to them about the God that they don't know. He starts to preach them about the only God. Can I get an amen? amen? Not the one of many gods, not the one of all those different statues. He's saying, let's just talk about the unknown God. And so he's preaching to them. And we're reading this sermon right here before us. And he says, for as I pass by to, I see this inscription, the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. It doesn't mean that these are stupid people. This just means this. They were just ignorant. This means that they just didn't know about God. These weren't people that he was mad at. These weren't people that he just sat there and said, what are you doing worshiping that and worshiping that? Why are you so devout to this and devout to that? He just told simply this, they just don't know. No one's ever told them about who the real God is. Athens was known as a place where people came from all over the region. They assembled all different people from different cultures, different tribes came to Athens. It was known as an intellectual capital. It's where a lot of really brilliant people found themselves all together seeking new knowledge or a better life. Do you know what it reminds me of? This part of California. You can't even drive into this part of California and not see people from all over the world. And they have come here for a better life. They have come here seeking. Some of them are very smart people. And they've come here. And some of them are very ignorant on who God really is. And Paul gives us an example. And he says this. He says, I declare unto you, verse 24 now, God that made the world and things therein. Can you imagine he's saying this to people who, who, who had a part in making up the idols and making up these gods. And he says, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He is preaching to them about who God really is. He's saying this, you can't make a statue to contain him. You can't make an idol and say, there's God. He's teaching and preaching to them about the unknown God that they don't know anything about. They think they know a lot about gods, but they don't any, know anything about the one true God. And then he says in verse 26, such a key verse. And he says, he hath made, being God, 
of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined. Would you put in your mind this or make a note? Determined means this, set in place. So think of this. God has determined or what? Set in place. Stay with me. When, I, when we see the word determined, I want you to think of God hath what? Set in place. Two things. He tells us right here in scripture that God hath determined or God hath what? Set in place. Two things. It's right here. It's, it's so important for us to see. God hath determined or set in place, number one, the times before appointed, and number two, the bounds of their habitation. He's talking to Paul. Paul's talking to them about God has determined about you, who he's preaching to, your time, meaning your life, and your habitation, meaning where you are living. And then he just explains it there a little bit further, but I want to really work on this just for a moment. You see, Paul is saying this as an illustration. Paul is saying that God has set in place the times of a man's life. Not only the times, but secondly, the habitation of a man's life. It is, it is just this simple. In my case, God set in place, or God determined when I would be born before I was born. Amen? God knew that. God set it in place. God knew that I would be born on January the 7th, 1963 at 11.28 p.m., on the third floor of the Boston Children's Home and that my mother would grab the doctor by the throat and say, if you don't give me more medication, I'm jumping out of that window. <laughs> God knew that. God set in place when my life would begin. God already has set in place when my life will end. When I die, God is not gonna be surprised. God set in place the times of my life, when I was to be born and where I will be when I die. Secondly, he set in place my habitation. He knew that it would be Boston. God set that in place. It was not a surprise that my parents lived in Boston, Massachusetts. Not to God. He set it in place. He's determined it. God also had a full knowledge of where I would live. He would know that I would move from Boston to Florida, from Florida to, to Virginia, from Virginia back to Florida, from Florida to Missouri, and from Missouri to Oklahoma. And somebody might say, well, what's all the moving about? When, well, when you're running from the, the law, you move a lot. I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, when you follow God, you might move a lot. So God has determined or set in place two things, when a man's life begins and when it ends, and where a man habitates. God knew that in the mid-1990s, I would move out of a, an efficiency apartment in Springfield, Missouri. I was teaching at the Bible college there, and onto a property, a little bit of an estate in Fairgrove, Missouri. He knew that I would move out there. He knew that I would bump into a neighbor named Ernie. So I was habitating. I moved. I thought I would live there forever. That's when I started pastoring. I, I, my wife and I were blessed to be able to build our own home. It was, it's what you would call your dream home. It's one that you'd say, we're going to live here the rest of our lives. Yep. And I remember meeting Ernie. He was the best neighbor a man could ask for. 
Ernie was lost. First Christmas, we were there. I wanted to witness to Ernie. We had been there about six months, and I made Ernie just a big plaque from some wood, and he was a big fisherman, and so I had some of my fishing lures and, and tackle uh, up there on the plaque and said something about fishing, you know, uh, a, a good day at work still isn't as good as a, a bad day fishing, you know, just types of things like that. Gave it to him, him at Christmas in our home. Ernie was crying when I gave him the gift, and I was a little confused. How come you'd start crying with just a Christmas gift, you know, in my own spirit? And his wife looked at me, and she says, Jeff, no one's ever made Ernie a gift in his life, not even his own children. So Ernie says, Jeff, really, thank you for the gift. And he said, can you get up? And we got up, and he went over and hugged me. This is an old Vietnam veteran, former drunk, hugged me and said, thanks for that gift. I've never been given a gift like this before in my life. And I had the track prepared, had my Bible there. And I said, Ernie, I want to talk to you about another gift. I told him about Jesus Christ. I told him about Jesus Christ dying for his sins. And I said, Ernie, I'd like to give you an opportunity to accept the greatest gift of mankind, the gift of salvation. And I said, Ernie, would you like to get saved right now? It was just him, his wife, my wife, and myself. I told him how we could do it through the sinner's prayer. And he says, you know, I don't think I'll do it now. I said, okay. And I was so disappointed in my spirit. But I said to Ernie, I says, Ernie, if you do this, he had a saved son that actually lived out here in the Air Force in California. And I said, Ernie, if you ever say this prayer, will you at least call your son and let him know? He said, I will. So that was Christmas morning. Christmas night, we went over to their house. That was at our house. Christmas night, I went over there and you know, Bonnie and Pam went into the kitchen and Ernie and I sat down in the living room and Ernie sat down in his chair and I sat down on the couch and Ernie says, well, just got off the phone with my son. And I said, what? I said, you called your son? Yep. Then his wife came running out and she says, he did it, he did it. And I said, he did what? And she said, well, later this afternoon, earlier this afternoon, I went out looking for Ernie. I needed some help in the kitchen. I went down to the garage and I said, Ernie, Ernie. He didn't answer, so I went out to the shed. Ernie, Ernie. Didn't answer, she went down to the basement. Ernie, Ernie. Then she went back into their back bedroom, back in the back of the house. She opened up the door, and she just all of a sudden stopped because there was Ernie at the bedside on his knees, sobbing and weeping unto God, asking God to forgive him of his sins, to save him from hell. Bonnie, who was a believer, just closed that door quietly. So I got to hear that story. I thought I was going to live beside Ernie all of my life. I thought my time was there forever. I was pastoring a small church. It was a, it was a perfect congregation, Brother Allen. It really was. I thought I have my lifetime. But I moved four years later. My habitation changed. Folks, you've got Ernie's that live near you and work with you. And you don't know how long you have with them. We make a big mistake when we say this. I'll witness to him or her some other time. 
we don't know how much time we have with them. Because God knows, and he's already set it in place. He set lost people like Ernie in my habitation, my neighbor. And I moved away. Ernie still sits there today. And when I go back to visit him, I'll say, Ernie, are you going to church anywhere? This is what he says. I've tried a couple. But no one seems to talk like you do. He doesn't mean accent. <laughs> this is what he's telling me. There's nobody that's there to help him grow in the Lord. The church that I pastored doesn't even have an evangelistic outreach anymore. It's gone Calvinistic. There's people that right now have been moved into your area in your place of employment that are smart folks, but they're ignorant on who God really is. Paul says this in verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold. Now picture this, he's preaching to people that have made idols, gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And then as we read earlier, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man. That's Jesus Christ whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he has raised him from the dead. Look at, look at me. We're now at the end of the sermon. That's the end of the sermon summary. What happens at the end of a sermon? In many ways, we could look at it this way. It's when we have an invitation. It's when we have results. It's when people that believe, we find out about those that believe and those that don't believe. So we're at the end of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Look at this. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some, what? Mocked. Others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with him. So there's three groups of people that we see that are, that, that are there at the end of the sermon. Some that mocked will say this, those that didn't believe, those that didn't believe. And then some that said, We'll hear again of this matter. We'd like to know more about this. And then there's some right there at the end that believed. So the Apostle Paul finds the same result that he's been finding all along. Some are going to mock. Some are not going to believe. Some are going to make fun. And then there's going to be some that will say, I'd like to talk to you about this again. 
I'd like to hear thee again about this matter. And then some are going to believe. It doesn't change. It's the same thing for us as we live our life, the time that we have from our birth to our death, from our habitation, no matter where we live, no matter who we live beside or where we work or who we work beside, some are going to believe, some are not going to believe, and some are going to say this, I'd like to know more about this again. And as we come through the end of the sermon, I just got to present it all to us here this morning in a very quick fashion. We're now at the end of my sermon. We're at the end of the sermon. And the same thing is going to be true amongst this group. Some are going to be labeled as believers. Some are going to be labeled as this. I'm going to mock you. I don't believe. And then some are going to say, I'll come back and I'll hear this again. The question is this simple. Which group do you fall into? Are you a believer here this morning so that when you hear about the fact that your time is set, the beginning and the end of your life and who habitates around you, do you realize that you have a limited amount of time to witness to your schoolmates, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, and even your own relatives? And you have been given an opportunity in this part of the country that is phenomenal. This part of California is known up as the startup of the country. People come from all over the world because some of the best minds have reassembled and they're habitating in this area. You have opportunity. Some of them have great degrees. Some of them have a lot of education. Dionysius was actually a lawyer and a judge back in this time. So we're not even supposed to, if you have a lawyer, you're not even supposed to, um, hopefully you don't have a lawyer, but if you do, you're, we're not even supposed to ignore them. Just because people have a lot of degrees doesn't mean that they know who God is. And there's people all over this community that are from all over the world and they have their own little God. And they are very devout. They're worshiping their little God. Some of them, you'll see it in their front yard. You'll see it hanging on their neck. You'll see them bowing down, doing things to their little God that will get them nowhere. And they're sending them straight to hell. And they're good people. Some of them are very, very intelligent people. But they're ignorant on what? Who God really is. They really have an unknown God. And it's the true God that they don't know anything about. And all that they need is someone like a Paul who has a manner a custom, a regular routine. You and I may never be invited like Paul to gather together with a bunch of intelligent people on a hillside or in an auditorium and teach or preach. But some of us have the ear. Some of you have people that work for you. You can get their attention. You could assemble them together. Some of you have lunch. When you go to the cafeteria, there's a group of schoolmates that gather with you. You have their ear. They usually want to hear what you have to say, just like the Apostle Paul. And you might say, I'll witness to them later. Stop. You don't know how much time you have.
to habitate with them. And this morning, maybe you're like me. I was in church for 20 years. I was telling the Sunday school class this. Don't mean to be repetitive, but it's just upon my heart. I sat in a pew just like these, in chairs just like these, for 20 years. And I learned how to do church. I was lost as can be. And when I started coming to the realization that God was nearly through with giving me opportunity to get saved, I started to realize I'm doing this the wrong way. If you're here this morning and everybody in this building thinks that you're saved because you've just been doing church, can I say this to you? As someone who did that for 20 years, you are on your way to hell if you've rejected the Son of God. I say, I got plenty of time. You don't know when your time is ended. And some of you might say this, I've got plenty of time to reach somebody that's in my habitation, my work circle, or my living circle. You don't know. I am so glad that I can look back on my four years as Ernie's neighbor and say, so glad I got to see him get saved before I moved because it only would have gotten harder. Would you this morning just answer this question? What group do you fall into? At the end of my sermon, are you a believer? Are you one that says, I'll come back and hear thee again of this matter? Or are you mocking right now? In your heart, you're just saying, I don't need this. I got this covered. Are you one of those like in Athens that you're just trying every little God you can? The God Almighty cannot be made with man's hands. He's God. He's the Almighty God. And if you reject His Son, Jesus Christ, the Almighty God will reject you because you rejected his son. In a few moments, we're just going to have a, an old-fashioned Baptist tradition. It's called an altar call. It's called an invitation. I, I don't know, but we prayed. I have been praying that God would do something here this morning that only he could do. And somehow in my heart, that I don't know, but in my heart, there's going to be many Christians, those that are believers, that are going to be coming and praying at the front, however you guys do it, and you're going to be praying and asking God, God, please, give us those that are in the Oakland, San Leandro, San Francisco area that have come from all over the world and are seeking more knowledge and seeking the better life. Lord, give us an opportunity as Heritage Baptist Church to reach those that he's brought to your community brought to your workplace, brought to your neighborhood, brought to your stores, brought to your parks, brought into your life. I believe there'll be some members of this church just begging God to give them more of an opportunity. With the Easter service coming just so soon, what an opportunity. But don't do all the rituals of passing things out without bathing it in prayer. Can I get an amen? So if you're a believer here this morning, why don't we just start to pray for those that are ignorant 
that needs somebody like you to give them the gospel. And then if you're here this morning and you're just saying, I'll hear again of this. Why don't you do this? If you're that inquiring, why don't you just come this time during the invitation and talk to the preacher and say, I want to know more about this. You'd say to the pastor, Pastor, can I set up an appointment to see you this week? I mean, maybe you fall into that category when you'd say, I'll hear thee again of this matter. If you fall into that category, why don't you come forward this morning, grab the preacher by the hand and say, Preacher, I want to, want to talk to you about this. And then maybe you're here this morning and you've been sitting in the church pew all of your life and you've been trying to save yourself by attending church. You've been mocking the gospel of Jesus Christ by doing that. And I'm begging you, I was one of those that for 20 years, everybody thought I was saved. Yeah, but I wasn't. I don't regret one moment of my life ever stepping out and just making it a public profession. I wasn't saved, but now I am. And when I did that, I don't remember one person of that church membership being upset with me one bit. They were thrilled. They were excited for me. If you're here this morning, I'm sorry for crying. If you're here this morning, and you've been coming to this church a long time, and if you're afraid that people will be mad at you, heritage, if some longtime member of this church walked the aisle this morning and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you be excited for them? Amen. Yeah, I'm sure you would. You might say, my mom and dad, man, they're going to be so mad at me if I, if I get saved this morning. Your parents won't be mad at you. They'll be thrilled for you. They'll be excited for you. Some of you men might say this. I don't want my wife to think anything bad of me or my kids. Sir, dad, you're wrong. They'll be thrilled if you accepted Jesus as your Savior. You might be sitting here saying, I don't know anything about this. This is my first time in church. Come, come forward. Let us show you how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let us tell you about the true God, the one and only God. Let's stop just playing. If you're not saved this morning, would you come forward? If you're a believer, would you start to pray as you have a great opportunity? Please, these facilities are unmatched. Please, don't just have activities and not seek the lost people to get saved in here.